Well, I encourage you to open in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Psalms. And we will be looking at Psalm 96. Remember, this is Israel's hymnal. And in Psalm 96, once again, we come to a psalm that Bible teachers and Old Testament scholars refer to as a royal psalm or an enthronement psalm or a psalm of Zion. These are songs that celebrate the Lord as King. They celebrate the Lord as King reigning on the Davidic throne from Jerusalem. And Psalm 96 is one of these psalms celebrating the Lord as King. And specifically, the psalmist here in Psalm 96 is celebrating the fact that the Lord is going to come back. He will establish His kingdom in righteousness here on earth. He is also coming as a righteous judge. I'm going to read the psalm in its entirety, you can follow along in your copy of the word. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, for the the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. There's a reason why we are have are spending five weeks looking at these psalms, talking about our coming Lord reigning on the earth. There's a reason why we spent time in the book of Joel this summer, and there's a reason why two weeks from today we will start a study in the book of Second Peter and encourage you to start reading through Second Peter. As we continue to look around us and see our world in disarray, our culture fragmenting, moral decay around us, it is important for us as believers in Jesus Christ, to take courage in the fact that the Lord is in control. The Lord is working out His purposes and His plan 
And he is coming back. He is going to reign upon David's throne forever and ever. He will establish righteousness and justice and truth on earth. And one of the things that is frustrating to us is that it's very easy for us to expect righteousness and justice and truth today. But in reality, we will not find complete righteousness and justice and truth until the Lord is reigning on earth. And to expect that from anyone else is a false expectation. Many years ago, my mother and my father came to our home and with a present. It was an apple peeler. Now, my folks knew that I was a great lover of apple pies. And they also knew that we had many apple trees where we lived and we still do today. So I was excited. I got the apple peeler, I mounted it onto our kitchen table, prepared to begin to peel apples so that they could end up in their proper, purposeful end in a pie. How frustrated I was to find that the peeler that my parents purchased for us peeled the apple, but it did not core the apple. Well, what good is this? I mean, some of the peelers on the market had a little blade, and as you proceeded to peel the apple, it cored the apple at the same time, but this one just peeled the apple, and I was frustrated. You see, I had an expectation for that tool to do something that it was not equipped to do. And one of the things that we find within ourselves that cause us to yearn, to groan, to wait in anxious expectation for the return of the Lord is this. We tend to have an expectation for people to accomplish things today for which They are not equipped. There is only one who will reign and establish righteousness and justice and truth forever. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. To expect that from anyone else is a false expectation because it's expecting someone to do something for which they are not equipped. But the psalmist here today is encouraging us. He's encouraging us to take hope in the fact that today we can have joy. Today we can rejoice because we know what's going to happen. Even though we see all of this moral decay around us today, we see our culture fragmenting. 
We know that that is not the ultimate end, but that the ultimate end will be Jesus Christ returning to earth and setting up his righteous reign. And the psalmist says, because of that, rejoice. And so we want to look at Psalm 96 through that lens today. And as the psalm opens, the first six verses of the psalm show us that we need to be talking about the Lord. The psalmist encourages us to proclaim the good news of how the Lord delivers His people, saves His people. And there's a reason why we should do that. Because He is greater than any other God that anyone else has. Notice with me, in Psalm 96, in the first three verses, the psalmist is calling the whole earth to praise the Lord. And he does so with six commands. He just stacks them on top of each other. Six command words or imperatives. It's sing, 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 bless, proclaim, and tell. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Why a new song? Because his faithfulness is new every day. Every day he demonstrates once again to his people his attributes, his character, his faithfulness to his word. And the psalmist says, rejoice. Sing a new song to him every day. He says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. And remember when... The Bible talks about blessing the Lord. It's saying the same thing as praise the Lord. When it says to bless His name, as we sang this morning, it means to praise Him for all that He is. All of His character, His attributes, His mighty acts, the things that He does. So the psalmist is calling out to the earth, saying praise the Lord for who He is. Verse 2, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Now remember that in the Psalms, we're actually looking at poetry. Hebrew poetry is not based on rhyming words. It's based on thought, like parallel thoughts. And here in verse 3, we have parallel synonymous thoughts. So tell of his glory among the peoples. If you look at among the peoples, that's the same thing as saying among all, excuse me, among the nations is the same thing as saying among all the peoples. To say tell of his glory, the parallel to that in the next line is his wonderful deeds. It's hard for us to think about what is God's glory. It's hard to put that into words. The the Hebrew word, the very Basic understanding of the Hebrew word translated glory here means to be heavy or weighty. Here it's saying that as we think about God, His reputation, all that He does is so immense and vast. We need to talk about the weightiness of everything that he is, all that he does, and all of his attributes and power. Talk about it. Why? Well, verses 4 through 6 tell us why we are to praise him. Notice verse 4 begins with the little word 
for or because. We're supposed to be talking about what the Lord has done. Why? Because he's great. That's what the psalmist says. Talk about what the Lord has done. Why? Because he's great. It says, verse 4, He's great as the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. Now, when we think about fearing God, for a Christian or for a believer in the Old Testament, that would have a different idea with it than somebody who stands in rebellion against God. For the person who's rebelling against God, whose fist is raised against him, saying, I'll do what I want to do. Their idea of fearing the Lord really is, you need to be fearing the Lord. For us, it's this reverential awe. And the psalmist here says, talk about the Lord. Why? Because he's great. And then he says this, it's important for us to be talking about the Lord and how he has saved us. For the for the Old Testament audience here, that word often carries the idea of delivers us. And it's just talking about how the Lord has done this in their life, and this in their life, and this in their life. For us as a New Testament Christian, his deliverance includes his deliverance of us from our sin. And we can talk about the salvation we have received through him spiritually as well. But here the psalmist says, Talk about what the Lord has done. Why? Because everyone around you, if they have a God that's a different God than the God, what they're really worshiping is nothing. In fact, the Hebrew word literally means nothing in verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are, my translation says idols, the Hebrew word is really nothing. Other gods are nothings. All the stuff that people put in God's place are really nothings. It's important for for people around us to hear us talk about our great Lord. Throughout my wife and I's lives together, the Lord has blessed us with many people who have impacted our lives. And one such person is a, is a woman named Claris. And the reason why I appreciate Claris so much is that Claris continually talks about the Lord. You cannot have a conversation with Claris without Claris saying, Do you want to hear what the Lord did today? Do you know what the Lord, how the Lord provided for us today? I was just thinking about the Lord and what he and who he is. And and have you thought about this about the Lord? I mean, it it just pours out of every portal of her being. It's not something that she does because she somehow feels like she needs to out of a sense of obligation. It's not something that she does out of some feeling of guilt. It's not a facade that she puts on this Lord hat when people are around. It's Clarus responding to who the Lord is. That's it. She continually sees 
who he is and she talks about him. It's just part of who she is. And why does she do that? Because of who he is. And the psalmist is saying, we should all be like that. As we see the Lord, it should just be natural for us just to talk about him. Guess what the Lord did for me today? Why is that so important? Because the people around us, if they are serving any other God, what they're really serving is a nothing. A nothing. The psalmist says, talk about what he has done. Now as we move to verses 7 through 10, he once again calls all of creation to praise and, and says why the Lord should be praised. But then he moves on in verse 10 to say that He deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. Because he is coming. And he is going to establish righteousness on earth. That that for which we yearn. As we experience pain. As we see those around us experiencing pain. As people let down other people. As we see our children hurting. Our grandchildren hurting. As we people see people taken advantage of. We see inequity all around us. We see this spiraling out of control. Moral decay taking place around us. We yearn for the day. When all will be set right. And the psalmist says, worship him, praise him. Why? Because he will finally establish his reign on earth in righteousness. Verses 7 through 9. Once again, it's a call to praise. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Praise Him for who He is and all of His attributes. Bring Him an offering. Come to His the outer courts of the temple and praise Him. In fact, it says, verse 9, Worship the Lord in holy attire. And for the Old Testament worshiper, they would have understood that to mean... I need to make sure that I'm ceremonially pure and clean before I enter the Lord's presence by coming to the outer uh, courts of the temple. For us, as we look at that, it's a reminder that we need to prepare our hearts as we gather together as a church family and prepare to worship Him. But the psalmist says He deserves our praise. Why? Verse 10 Because he's coming to reign. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Fairly. You see, the psalmist can say today, rejoice. Why? Because he has complete confidence in the outcome. He knows what's happening. 
he understands that while today there may not be equity, today there may be hurt, today there may be pain, but the Lord is still in control. He is working out his purposes. And one day, the anointed one, Hebrew word Messiah, Greek word Christ, the anointed one, God's son, we know as a New Testament Christian to be Jesus, is going to reign on David's throne forever and ever. And verse 10 looks to that day when it says he will judge the peoples with equity. Last year I had some fun with my adult sons. They came over to our house and we were going to watch a football game together. Little did they know that before they arrived, I had paused the coverage of the game right before it started, just for a minute or two. But when the boys arrived, they did not know that I had paused the game. They also didn't know that I had my iPhone next to me with a play-by-play being reported live. So what they were watching was a couple minutes behind. So I would do things like say, you know what? This would be the perfect time for like a 30-yard pass. And then the quarterback would throw a 30-yard pass. And then I would say, and I'm down here glancing at my phone, and then I'd say, man, this guy's going to miss this kick. I guarantee it. And he'd miss the field goal. It was so fun. It really was fun. They figured it out quite quickly because they knew that their old man just wasn't that smart. But, oh, it was, I really enjoyed it. It was so fun. I was speaking with such confidence. Why? Because I knew what was going to happen. And the psalmist is speaking with great confidence here. Why? He doesn't have to worry about what's happening right today. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows that the Lord is in absolute control. The Lord is going to make things right. He is coming as a fair Judge, and he's going to establish righteousness here on earth. The book of Revelation tells us in chapters 19 through 21, and we read a portion of that at the beginning of the service, that Jesus Christ is going to return with the armies of heaven clothed in white, which I believe is the church after we have been raptured. He is going to set up his kingdom reign on earth. And in setting up his reign on earth, he's going to defeat the nations who are standing in rebellion against him. At the end of that thousand year reign, Satan will be briefly released and he will try to raise up one last stand against the Lord and he will be finally defeated forever and cast into the lake of fire. That the earth will be reconstituted and the heavenly Jerusalem that that mansions that we know Jesus is preparing for his people will come and rest on earth and we will be with him forever and ever as he reigns forever and ever on David's throne in righteousness. And the psalmist says, rejoice about that. We know how this is going to turn out. In fact, down in verses 11 through 13, he actually calls out to all of creation. 
Notice verse 11 and 12. He calls out to all creation to rejoice because the Lord's coming. He's coming as a righteous judge. Verse 11, he calls out to the heavens and the earth. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. He calls out to the sea and the dry ground. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. He's basically saying, hey, trees, rejoice in the Lord. Ocean, rejoice in the Lord. Fish of the ocean, rejoice. The Lord's coming back. Grain in the fields, corn, wheat, rejoice. The Lord's coming back. Why is he calling out to the earth? To rejoice for the Lord's return. Well, the Apostle Paul shed some light on that for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. I encourage you to flip over to that passage with me. Romans 8, starting the read of verse 18. Remember that when sin entered the world, it killed man and woman. And all of us, because Romans tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned, so did we. And at the moment sin entered the world, we died. Our inner person was immediately separated from a holy God. And we also experienced physical death. Our inner person, for each and every one of us, will be separated from our bodies. We died. But man and woman were not the only ones damaged by sin. The creation was damaged by sin. God's good work of creating the earth. And Paul here in Romans 8, starting to read in verse 18, talks about creation itself just groans, waiting for the Lord to come and restore His good work. In fact... Remember, if you go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and following, and look at God's creative work in Eden, then if you go to the end of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John describes the heavenly city in terms just uh, just like are used in the book of Genesis to describe the Garden of Eden. You see, the Lord is bringing restoration. Not only to his people that he created, but to his entire creation. So the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting to read of verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The Apostle Paul is saying that we all ache for the day when the Lord returns and restores His good work. We aim for the day of our final glorification when we will no longer be riddled with pain and hurt 
When we look around us and we no longer will see fragmented relationships and inequity, people being taken advantage of, one day that will all be gone. And so the psalmist here in in Psalms 96 calls out to the creation and just says to all of God's work, Hey, rejoice. He's coming back. He's going to make it all right again. Verse 13. Before the Lord, for He is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. And the peoples in His faithfulness. I've had an ongoing issue with my office chair. Such a little thing, but so frustrating. I didn't even notice that it was happening, but as I start out the day, I can sit down on my chair and be typing away at my computer, and by the end of the day, instead of me typing away at my computer like this, I'm more like typing away at my computer like this. Because unbeknownst to me, my chair continues to go down further and further and further, and I don't even think about it until my arms are up like this, and it's like... What's going on? And I realize that the cylinder of my office chair is no good anymore. Well, fortunately, my cylinder of my office chair came with a lifetime warranty. All is good, right? So we contacted where we purchased the chair. They said, well, we'll take care of that. We will call the manufacturer. They called back and said, well, the manufacturer has reported they no longer make that chair, so it can no longer be fixed. How frustrating. It's like, what does lifetime warranty mean? Does that mean like, as long as you want it to be a warranty? I don't get it. It's just such a little thing, but how frustrating. It's like, that's not right. You say it's got a lifetime warranty, but I guess we're not going to do that anymore? That's not fair. And then we just, we see some little thing like that. And then we start seeing other areas all around us where it's not right. And then we see around us huge examples of inequity and people hurting other people. And it doesn't seem like there's even any ramifications at all. And we can become caught up in anxiety and worry and frustration. And yet the psalmist says, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because of who he is. He's great. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he's coming back. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he's going to reign in righteousness in truth. He is going to judge the world and he is going to judge it fairly. For those who stand in rejection of him, there's a lot to fear. For those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is God that paid the price for our sin and that through faith in him, We can be declared right with God. Not by our own merit because what He has done for us. For us, we look to His return with expectation. 
and joy. But the psalmist says, take heart. Because he is coming back. He is going to reign in righteousness. Praise the Lord our King. Because he's coming to judge and rule the world. Father, we thank you for Psalm 96. That it encourages us that we can find joy. Even though we look around us and it seems like things are fragmented and decaying. Within the depths of our soul, we yearn for the day of when you return. And Father, we take note of the psalmist's call to talk about you. Just in everyday conversation to talk about your great works and what you have done and what you are doing. And to take joy in the fact that you are coming back. Your son will reign on David's throne forever and ever as a righteous judge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.